You can open your Bibles to Acts 20. Acts 20, and just by saying that, you know that this is a weird Sunday because we're not in Matthew. And uh, so we are, we're doing something, again, a little bit different today. I didn't have a title, so I came up with the ingenious title of Elder Installation Sermon. And uh, that's copyrighted, by the way. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what to call this. I've, I've actually never preached at an installation service before. I've, I've been preached at in an installation service. Some of you were here for that uh, over 12 years ago. Um, but this is a, a day of great significance for our church. Uh, although in one sense it is a formality, what we're doing here today. Several significant days have already taken place. We adopted a new con- confession and constitution on September 29th well, of 2021. And we then elected four elders to join me on March 20, 2022. And so those are the significant days and significant uh, things. And today is, is a formalization and a, form, a form, formality whereby I want you to, to recognize these men that, that you have chosen to be your elders, to be in uh, those who rule over you. And so we want to do that this morning by doing a couple things. And so before we dive in to the Scripture, let's pray together. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would be pleased that uh, we've been crying out to you uh, for months specifically about uh, who you would call, who you would choose, who you would have to lead our church to rule as elders. And and so we've asked and you've answered and and, uh, you have shown us. We thank you for that and we rejoice in you for that. And that we pray that as we move forward as a church that uh, uh, this time will will be... uh, a confirmation of that, but also a way of encouraging us to do what you've called us to do, to be what you've called us to be, for your name's sake. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My theme this morning is uh, every member of Calvary Baptist Church has responsibility. So every one of you who was here as a member, not all of you are members, so I understand that, but as members, we each have responsibility. And in light of what we're doing today, we have two, two versions or two realms of responsibility. So I'm going to have two parts of the message. One part will be for you and one part will not be for you. But you can learn from both parts. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to do what we typically do, which is the part that is for me, I think it's for someone else. And the part that's for someone else, I'm like, yeah, I want to hear what's for someone else and know what's for them. So I want you to hear what's your responsibility and focus on that. But learning what the responsibility for others is, is helpful and is important, is scriptural. But I want you to be thinking, what is God, what responsibility has God given me? So one responsibility is to the elders of this church, and one is to the, the congregation of this church. Now, of course, elders are a part of the congregation, so in one sense, they can't get out of any of it. But uh, you have to understand your responsibility. And in light of the scripture, we know that some have greater responsibility. And so the elders have greater responsibility than the members, but we all are responsible. And so that's where we'll begin this morning is with those with the greatest responsibility. And so first of all, I want to start with a charge to the elder. Now we have more than one elder in this church now, so the charge to the elders in that sense. But I am here to charge Fred Pratt, Frank Dvorak, and Marv Plementosh. Don't leave, Marv. I see you walking. Don't leave. Uh, And uh, (laughs) Doug Scott. So this charge is for these four men in particular, Um, and uh, so those are the men we have chosen to to lead our church in that way. So the charge to the elder, we're going to start in Acts 20. Now, I've got a lot of scripture, and this is a topical message, 
And uh, so, of course, I've given you the scripture. I've given you page numbers. You can maybe turn if you need to use a Bible provided and so that you can follow along. But we're going to start in Acts 20 this morning. Starting in verse 28, I'll read through verse 32. Paul says this to these elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's just a portion of what Paul tells to these elders, and you can see that looking back to verse 17. He, went, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he, he called them to come meet him, and as they met him, he gives them this charge. And as we focus in on just a portion of this charge, I say this first of all to the elders, be a caring shepherd, who protects the sheep from enemies outside and inside the church. Be a caring shepherd who protects the sheep from enemies outside and inside the church. You need to shepherd the flock of God. You are an overseer of God's flock. And the charge here specifically in this passage, in this part, is one of protection. It's one of protection because there are enemies outside the church as well as inside the church. And men, you have a tremendous responsibility of protection. If you know anything about sheep, and if you've been a Christian very long, you've heard sermons about sheep. I'm not going to go into too many details, but sheep need tremendous protection. So shepherds protect the sheep. What kind of protection do they need? What kind of battle is it? It is a battle of words and ideas. It's a battle of words and ideas. And so... It's not necessarily that the shepherds need to know how to use an actual sword or to learn the martial arts or to know how to handle a firearm, though all those things might come in handy for other reasons. <laughs> but what we need is we need the kind of spiritual protection that comes because the battle is won primarily of words and ideas. These wolves inside the church are speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. And so the response of the elder is to admonish the flock. There are those being drawn away because twisted things are being taught. And so the elder is to admonish the flock, admonish the flock with words. And so the command is you must be alert to the danger. Be alert to the danger and follow Paul's example. For three years, Paul had ministered to the church at Ephesus. And so when the wolves attack with words, what do you defend with? The word of God. You use words to convey lies. They use words to convey lies and falsehood. You use words to convey the truth. We use words. We battle the ideas. That's the kind of shepherds that we need, men who can protect the flock because the battle is one of words and ideas, and I've already given this one away. It is a battle won with the word of God. The words we use are 
the words of God, the word of God found in the scripture. And this is why Paul commends the word of his grace. I commend to you the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up. So if it is the battle for truth, then we must know the truth. And where is the truth found? God's word. God's word. We must know God's word because it's a battle of words and we battle the words with the word. Again, Paul had been an example. Paul had been a living example. Look back at verse 20. Verse 20, he, he says this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. That's the kind of ministry he had. Anything that was profitable, I taught you in public, I taught you in house to house, I taught, I taught, I taught. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. All it took was three years, the whole counsel. That's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of teaching. I've been here 12 years. I haven't finalized the whole council. Now, in one sense, uh, Paul didn't have all the New Testament that we have, and so there was more written since he wrote this. But at the other sense, uh, you can tell how much teaching and how much effort was, was going into this. And in one sense, he would not, if he had had 33 years, he wouldn't have stopped teaching. He would have had more to teach. And so the job is never done in another sense. But what we see here is we see the heartbeat of his ministry. The heartbeat of his ministry was to teach the counsel of God, to declare the word of God. Verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so elders, we must follow Paul's example. We must follow Paul's example. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, one of the most important words for any elder, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching and teaching. What are we preaching and teaching? The word. We, what are we reproving with? The word. What are we re rebuking with? The word. What are we exhorting with? The word. And we do all of that with complete patience, not lacking at all in patience. I wonder why he would say that. Have you ever shepherded sheep? You need some patience. <laughs> so that's, that is the battle. But notice also, number three, it is an emotional and difficult battle. That's the nature of the battle. But there's an aspect of the battle that I don't want you to miss. Paul's admonishment, he says, I admonished you with tears. Day, night or day, admonishing everyone with tears. This is an emotional battle. They know that Paul's ministry, back in verse 19, Paul says, it was serving the Lord with all humility and tears, and with trials. This is the kind of ministry that Paul had among them. It was a humble ministry, but it was a ministry filled with tears and filled with trials. So Christ-like love comes with tears. Because when you love the sheep, when you love God's people, it is painful when things don't go well. It's painful to watch sheep wander and to leave, to watch sheep be taken by the wicked one, to watch them go. So Christ-like love comes with tears. Christ-like ministry comes with trials. Trials. Tears and trials. Anybody want to sign up for that? Maybe I didn't mention that when I had the interviews. Maybe we didn't talk about that. A lot of tears, a lot of trials. In fact, in one of the interviews I had, uh, one of the wives 
brought up this very point. Not sure we want to sign up for this. It's going to bring trials. And that has absolutely come true in just a short period of time, tremendous trials. It's difficult. The battle's difficult. And that's why, that's why it's a warning to men to take on this responsibility. It's not easy. Uh, everyone wants the glory of victories won. Everybody wants to be the hero. So you watch the movie, you see the heroes, you want to be that guy that wins the fight, you want to be David uh, fighting Goliath. Yeah. But make sure you watch the whole movie, you see the whole story, because there's a lot of difficulties, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of sorrow that goes into those victories. It's not always as easy as even David had it with Goliath. We will talk about that in a minute. So Satan is not going to rest if we encroach on his territory. And by God's grace, we are encroaching on his territory. And the more we encroach, the more he's going to fight, the more he's going to battle, the more he's not going to rest, and it will be difficult. Secondly, elders, be a good soldier who fights the good fight and guards the good deposit. Be a good soldier who fights the good fight and guards the good deposit. So be a caring shepherd and be a good soldier. So in 1 Timothy 6, you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, it says, Paul writing to his pastoral protege, Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of the faith. You have to be a soldier who fights, and the fight is the good fight, and it's a good fight of faith. And the first thing he says as he says to fight is, first of all, it's a fight for your own soul. It's a personal fight. It's a fight for your own soul. You can put the scripture up now. I got out of order, Parker. Sorry about that. He says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of that. It's eternal life that you, first of all, have to grab. Do I have it on there? The next verse, next slide should be. Is there a slide? There you go. I fought a good fight. No, I didn't have it on there. My bad. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. You can look it up. I forgot to put that on the slides. There it is. We got it. There we are. Fight the good fight of the faith. Right in the middle. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So the first thing an elder must do is he must, first of all, grab a hold of eternal life himself. It's a personal fight. We cannot preach to others what we don't also have. We cannot lead others in what we do not also already have obtained. We must fight the fight of faith for ourselves. We must cling to Christ. You know, Paul gives that warning, lest I myself be a castaway. How many pastors, how many elders, how many leaders have we seen fall away because they did not fight this good fight, first of all, for themselves? They did not take hold of the eternal life themselves. We have to fight for the souls of the congregation, and you fight for the souls of the congregation by, first of all, fighting for your own soul. That's where the fight begins. It starts as a personal fight. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, so in 1 Timothy and now in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. At the end of your life, will you be able to say that you fought the good fight, that you finished 
You finished well, you finished strong, you finished to the end as a soldier. That's what is necessary in this personal fight. We want to get to the end of our lives serving Christ with that kind of ministry. I've fought it, I've finished it, I've kept the faith. The reason why so many men fall away or stumble in the ministry is because the nature of the fight is very difficult. And so if you're not fighting it personally, you will struggle mightily and it's a dangerous place to be to lead in the fight. So it's a personal fight. Secondly, it is a gospel fight. I mentioned this, Paul mentioned this, it's a good fight of the faith. It's a good fight for the faith. It is a gospel fight, particularly so that in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. What's the deposit? You've got a deposit, it's been entrusted to you. So there's this picture of this deposit, this, this treasure given to you, this, this financial deposit given to you, and now you have to guard that deposit. What is the deposit? Look in 2 Timothy 1. So I didn't have you turn there, did I? So if you take a moment, I'll turn there, because it's not on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, if you don't have time to get there, you can write this down. 2 Timothy 1, verses 10 through 14. So the idea here is this deposit's been entrusted to you. So he ends his first letter with telling him to guard the deposit. He doesn't really say what the deposit is. Timothy would know. But in his second letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, starting in verse 10, we find out what this deposit is. And he says, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here's this idea that all of this information is the good news. The word gospel means good news. Jesus Christ has abolished death by dying on the cross. He brought life by coming out of the grave. And he brings immortality to light through this gospel for others who trust in him, for which, this gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard. He's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, what's been entrusted to Paul, that God guards. It's the gospel. So he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The deposit that's been entrusted to you, God guards you guard, and it's primarily and most importantly at the center of that, it's the gospel. We preach and teach the gospel. We guard the gospel. We let nothing into the church. We let nothing into our lives that diminishes, that changes, that turns the gospel. If we lose the gospel, we've lost it all. The gospel is central. We must know the gospel, but we must do more than know it. We must guard it. And to guard it, you need to be a soldier. Soldier with what? Soldier who knows the gospel, who can explain the gospel, who knows all the aspects of the gospel, who learns the terminology of the gospel, who knows, knows this, who studies it, who, who, who can teach it, who can rebuke and exhort with it. You have to know that truth. You have to guard that truth, the truth of the gospel. And as has already been mentioned, in this fight, you will suffer. You will suffer. That's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering. Elders, you are called, like Timothy was called, as an elder himself, to share in suffering for the gospel. You noticed as I read it in verse 11, or verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. He suffered for the gospel. You're going to suffer for the gospel. This is a recurring theme. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, as for you, always be as for you always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It is a ministry of suffering. But what greater thing to suffer for than suffer for the gospel? Nothing better to suffer for than the gospel. I've suffered for a lot of things. Mostly my own foolish mistakes and my own sinfulness. I've, I've suffered. I'd rather suffer for the gospel. There's nothing better than to suffer for the gospel. And that's what a good soldier does. We're, we're in a fight. We're fighting for the gospel. We're guarding the gospel. It's a fight of faith, and we're going to suffer. And so this is what Paul calls Timothy. He says, share it. Share in suffering. And to share in suffering this way demands that you are a soldier. You're a soldier. Soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on. It's not just elders, of course, that are in a spiritual battle. All of us are in a spiritual battle. We all need the armor of Christ, Ephesians chapter 6. But men, you are to be soldiers. So we need elders who are knowledgeable, but more than intellectuals. We need elders who are students of the word, but more than theologians. We need elders who are shepherds, like David, men who can kill the lion and the bear, men who are well-trained to use the weapons of our warfare, men who are courageous and won't run from a fight, men who know the Lord and trust them with everything they have so that they're willing to get in the fight and fight to the death. If you want to turn with me, I'm going to use an illustration in 1 Samuel 17. Illustrate this point. 1 Samuel 17. If you don't know the passage and know what's there, you'll, most of us do know the story. 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to start looking at verse 26. Men, you need to be men of courage. Men who are courageous and won't run from the fight. What do we find in 1 Samuel 17? 1 Samuel 17, we find David, and we find, well, let's read verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Who is this Philistine? Goliath and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What is happening in the text, what's happening before this, is that we have a valley and we have some hills. And on each side of the valley, you have the, the, the armies amassed. You have the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on one side. Well, the, the Philistines have a secret weapon. They have a giant. Well, they have more than one giant, but they have their best giant. That's Goliath. He's huge close to 10 feet tall. And why should we all die when we can just have the battle of champions? Well, whoever comes up with that idea must think they have the best champion. <laughs> so they send Goliath down. He walks down, walks down to the valley and challenges who will come out and fight. And if I'm defeated, we'll be your slaves. If 
if uh, you're defeated, you'll be our slaves. That's the idea. And uh, day after day, he's done this. And who has come down from the Israelite side to fight Goliath? Nobody. Not yet. He's going to. Hold on to that. Not yet. Nobody. What do we know about King Saul? King Saul, who was chosen to be king of Israel for one reason, because he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So I don't know what the average height for an Israelite was in those days. Many scholars believe it was very short, shorter than 5'10", which is the average height for a male in our day, but maybe closer to 5'5". Five five. You know, a guy who's about 10 feet tall, and the average Israelite's about 5 feet tall, a little over 5 feet tall. Can you see the difference? But the good news is, is the Israelites have their own giant. Now, he's not close to 10 feet tall, but he might be what's head and shoulders above 5'5". Five five. <laughs> he might be 6'2", as giant as I am. Maybe a little bit taller because I have shrunk. All right? He's a giant. But where's King Saul? Where's the ruler of Israel? Where's the man of the hour? Where's he? He's nowhere to be found. What's David's response? A time of great fear. The Israelites are literally shaking in their sandals. What does David say? David says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We need elders like David who are courageous and won't run from a fight. Everyone else is afraid. They're running from the fight, but not David. Go down to verse 32. The story continues. David meets with King Saul, and he says to the king, listen to what David says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. I mean, if you don't see the, the, the it's not even dripping, the pouring irony of this passage. Here's the man who should be fighting, being told by a 17-year-old shepherd boy that don't worry, I've got him. What? This is the kind of men that we need. We need men like David who are courageous and willing to fight. Why isn't someone willing to fight? Whether I win or lose, why will we not step into the fight? And all of us are aware of our own lives that there have been times in our own lives when we've been afraid to fight. The fight is there. The fight maybe even needs to take place. Someone needs to fight, but I am scared to fight. I refuse to fight. I run from the fight. We all know what that's like, especially men. Speaking more to men and to women here specifically, we know what it's like. But David is courageous. He's willing to fight. Well, why is he so willing? Verses 34, But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. Oh, notice, this is a shepherd. Notice the correlation. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David has killed before. David is trained in weapons of war. He's fought a dangerous enemy in the past and won. But that's not what David is trusting in. But we do need men who have been trained to fight. We do need men who have experienced battle. We do need men who know how to use the weapons of our warfare, and they are spiritual weapons. It's the sword of the Lord. It's the sword, the spirit of the living God. That is the word of God. But notice what David is trusting in. So in verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like them. But why? For he has, because he has defied the armies of the living God. Keep going. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
David knows the living God. He knows the Lord who delivers, and he trusts the Lord who delivers. He's trained to fight. He's courageous to fight, but he's trained and he's courageous, but he's not trusting in his ability. He's not trusting in his past. He's trusting in the Lord. He's saying, I've had the battles with him before. You're not sending out an untested warrior. You're sending out a man who's had victory, but his victory rests in the Lord. His trust is in the Lord. So what does he say to the Philistine in verse 46 and 47? <laughs> this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of, you, of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. It is the Lord who saves. The battle is the Lord's. But when the Lord goes to battle, who does he send? Sometimes in his mercy and his grace, he sends the angel of the Lord to do it all. And we sleep in the tent and the armies are wiped out. Praise God, I'm all for it. And other times he wins the victory by sending his armies, us, into the battle. Armies led by generals, led by kings, led by rulers who go out and lead in the battle. So sometimes he does it miraculously, sometimes he does it wholly on his own, and other times he does it through his people. People who are courageous, and they have to be led by leaders and rulers and kings and, and pastors and elders who are courageous. This is his normal means. He is the one who wins the battle, but normally he does it through his soldiers. And we live in a day that is crying out for soldiers of Christ to arise. Elders, be soldiers. May be led by men of courage, men of conviction, men who know the Lord and trust in the Lord at all times. The battle is, is, is raging. It is here. All right, now, congregation, now you can wake up. That was just for them. Let's all turn to Hebrews 13. Now the elders can, can go back to sleep. Hebrews 13. Page 1,286, if you're using a Bible. We'll be here for the rest of the time, so all the flipping is, is done. You can relax a little bit. Now the charge to the congregation. Hebrews 13. I'm going to start uh, in verses 17, read 17 and 18. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. So what's the charge to the congregation? The first thing is right at the beginning. Obey and submit. Obey and submit to your elders. These are the leaders that Paul is talking about. These are the rulers I prefer the word ruler, not because I'm an elder myself, but because that's, I believe that's what the Greek is pointing to more than the word leader. So you'll hear me use the word rule a lot. And the leader's fine, as long as we understand what a leader is. So what I want to say to you, congregation, is that you've gone from one ruler to five rulers. Congratulations. So if you don't like the word rule, you're in trouble. <laughs> In the church, notice carefully, in the church, 
in their God-given sphere of authority. That is the church. The elders rule where in the church. You are commanded, congregation, church member, Christian, to obey and to submit to your elders. They're your rulers. Now, this is very important. This is a side note. Not every person here this morning is under the authority of the elders of this church. Why not? Because not everyone here is a member of this church. And therefore, if you're not a member of this church, you're not one of our sheep, you're not one of our family, we encourage you, plead with you, want you to be a part of it, love to have you here, but you're not under the authority. Therefore, we can't tell you what to do, except in the sense of when the church gathers, we won't let you disrupt it or say anything crazy or do anything because as our guest, you need to know how to behave. But other than that, we don't have any authority. It's like <laughs> when uh, your, the neighbor kid comes uh, to dinner with your, with your kids. They're not under your authority, but they're sitting at your table. They should know how to behave. And if they don't behave well, you can always just send them packing. They're not your kid. Now, with your kid, they don't behave at the table. You've got some weapons of warfare that you can apply to the situation. <laughs> so that's the, that's the idea. We're glad you're here. We want you to be well-fed. We want you to join and be part of the family so that we can discipline you. Wait, wait a second. I'm not sure I was... In... <laughs> I'm not sure I, I said that right. We, we want you to join so that you, we can love you. Uh, and that means discipline you, but I won't say that out loud. All right, anyway, that was just a side note, not in the notes. The idea here is as a member of this church, you are commanded to obey and submit. To obey and submit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've been over this before. These men have authority. They have God-given authority in the sphere of the church. We have to understand what that sphere is. We have to understand where their authority lies and, and where it comes. And so there's a lot to go into that, but I'm not going to spend time on it. I think you know, at least have a good idea. If you're confused, please talk to me. But why would anyone do that? In today's day and age, why would anyone choose to have rulers over them in another sphere? Why would we have more than one ruler over us? Why would we want a plurality of rulers? Well, why would we do this? Because God commanded it, and it is for your good. Is what God commands, that's one thing. So you say, why, why should I do that? Well, because God said so. But more than that, listen, in God's mercy and grace, he gives you a motivation besides just strict obedience. He says at the end of verse 18, he says, uh, verse 17, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let it be an advantage to you. Let their rule be an advantage to you. That's why you obey them is because it's good for you. It's for your benefit. I also want to make it clear that each of these five men in this role has equal authority. Equal authority. What does that look like? How do we do that? Well, it's, it's, it's difficult. We haven't been used to that. I've, I've not been used to that. They have equal authority. So what I want to say here at that point is don't pit the elders against each other. I'm going to, I'm going to use a lot of children's illustrations here because I think it works best. But don't... Get upset like I'm calling you guys kids. But in this instance of people under authority, this is the best example I can think of. So don't pit the elders against each other. Just like as a child, you shouldn't pit your parents against each other. You shouldn't play your parents one against another. Not that any of you would know how to do that or have done that in the past. Yeah. I know dad said, so now I go ask mom the same question because she might say something different and then I can do it and now they're at each other. This is just real practical, congregation. Don't put, pit the elders one against each other by trying to cause division or cause things or, or, or be an issue. 
And, and I get this idea of using children as an example from the scripture, 3 John 1, 4. One of my favorite verses as, as an elder myself, 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, children in the faith. And this verse is a very positive one for elders, that children in the faith, people that you've led to Christ, people that you've discipled, people that you've taught, you've, you've exhorted, you've rebuked, you've, you've done all these things. When they walk in the Lord, when they walk in the faith, there's no greater joy as a spiritual parent. And so this, this illustration works, and so we'll keep using it. Um, it's biblical. So as a member of this church, under the authority of elders, in a sense, you are spiritual children, and so the comparisons fit. So obey and submit to your elders. What that looks like, where that shows up, there's many examples, and, and we'll work that out as, in time. And if you have questions, let me know. But I want to keep moving here, going through this. Obey your elders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. So make their job a joy. They're keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. Let them do their ministry with joy. So they've been given the task of watching over your soul, and they will be the ones who give an account for your soul. So make their job easy. Make their job a joy. Now again, here, I'm back to my parent illustrations. Why? Because I am one, and I've got a lot of examples. Almost every member here has been a parent or is a parent or uh, has been a grandparent, all kinds of examples. So you guys are almost all with me. If you haven't been a parent, hang in there. The joy is about to begin someday, Lord willing. Almost every one of you knows what I'm talking about here. You know as a parent how hard a job it is. It's a hard job being a parent. You also know what it's like to have children. Hopefully you know what it's like to have children who make parenting a joy. Because probably all of us have had the, the wonderful joy of having kids who make parenting not a joy. And I do not, at this time, look down the row and, and, and look at the one kid that you're thinking of. All right? Do not write their name at this point in the sermon notes and then talk to them later. This is not the point. What I'm saying is, as a parent of children, don't be the kind of spiritual child who makes parenting hard. Don't make eldering hard. Don't make the watching over your soul difficult. They are going to have to give an account for you. Help it be a joyful accounting. So how do we do that? I got some three practical ways here. First of all, come out. Make yourself easy to find. As a member of the church, be here. Where's here? Be in the meetings of the church. Be in the congregation. Be when the church meets. Be here. Stay with the flock. The easiest sheep to shepherd are the ones with the flock because that's where shepherds are. They're with the flock. And if the sheep are with the flock, you're being cared for. You're here. I can find you. I can name you. I can see you. I can see if you're doing okay. I don't have to go searching for you. Wandering and hiding sheep are hard work. They wear a shepherd down. It's like the kid that's always running off. Like, where did, where did he go? Well, little, little Joey went. We're in the store. All of a sudden, he disappears. Everywhere, I'm always looking for little Joey. Why does he always run off? It's a lot of work. And so what some parents do is they put him on those ropes, right? They put him on a, on a leash. You've seen those kids? And you say, I can't believe parents would do that. Well, you don't know their kid, do you? <laughs> I wouldn't do it either, but uh, you can sympathize, can't you, sometimes? Yeah. Some of them, don't have, they don't have it around the neck, though. That's a good thing. They, they're attached to the backpack. 
you know. I'm not, I would not go for the choke collar. I would not do that, but uh, okay, I should, that's too far. Anyway, what we want to do is we want as sheep to make the job a joy. And when this job is difficult, you become a source of discouragement for your shepherds. So come out, be in the services, be here, because then you're easier to care for. You're easier to check on. You're easier to see, are you healthy? Have you been eating? How's things going? But if, if, if more of the sheep are out there wandering or hiding or staying away, it's, it's hard work. Shepherds always have to go out and find you. So that's one way to make their, their job a joy. Secondly, reach out. Reach out. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. Don't wait to be asked how you're doing. Let your elders know how you're doing. Let us know when you have a need. Don't have a need and wait to be approached. Be proactive with your needs. Be proactive with letting us know how you're doing. Be proactive with prayer requests. By no means am I trying to let the elders off the hook for doing their job. But communication goes two ways. You know, it's like that parent who you finally call because it's her birthday. And you call and they say, oh, I didn't know if you lost your phone. I didn't know if you lost my number. It's been so long. And you say, yeah, ma, but... You know, I have, you haven't called me for three months either. And so we can both point the finger, both to say is the phone works both ways. Everyone has. So that's the idea of taking initiative. I really appreciate it when people let me know they have a need, when they let me know there's a struggle, when they text me and let me know I'm not going to be in church today, I'm not feeling well. Those, this just makes it easier for me. It's easier for me than always having to reach out. And now we have more elders. It's easier for all of us. Reach out, take initiative. Let us know how you're doing. If you have a need, communicate that. We want to be taking initiative with you, of course, but it works both ways. And so this is a way to make their job a joy. Number three, help out. Take part in ministering. Inside the church, help with care, help with discipleship. Be, be a, a sheep who's a working sheep, if there is such a thing. <laughs> the illustration probably has to change at that point. But, but be a part of, of caring so don't just be a recipient of care. Don't just be here. Don't just reach out and let us know how to care for you. Also, take part in the caring. Make phone calls. Check on people. Do some of those things. Disciple one another. Uh, lead a Bible study. Meet with a new believer. Do these things. Help in the work. And then outside the church, help out in evangelism. Go to the, the farmer's market. Help out with handing out tracts. Take a part in doing this. Don't leave all of this work up to your elders, up to those uh, that rule over you. Be a part of it. That makes ministry a joy. Serving the Lord together, working together, doing these things together. It is a joy to serve together. So here's one example. Though it's not really the elder's job anymore, it's now the deacon's job. There's a church work day coming up on May 7th. <laughs> you, want, you want to make your deacons, this is even about the deacons, but I'm going to throw a bone in here for the deacons. Come and help out. Help out with a job. Show up and work. Everyone can do something. Come and be a part. It's a joy to work together. It's a joy to serve together. It's a joy to be together, even when it's hard work. It's fun. And last, verse 18, Paul, we believe it's probably Paul. I shouldn't say it is Paul. The writer of the Hebrews writes, pray for us. Pray for us. Of course, he's talking about himself, but I also believe he's talking about the rulers, the elders. Pray for your elders. Satan is seeking to destroy your rulers. Pray for them. Pray for all of them. It's so encouraging. Many of you have encouraged me time and time again by just saying to me, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. 
And now you just added four more names to that, that list of elders to pray for. Pray for your rulers. Pray for these men. If they're the kind of shepherds and soldiers you want, you need to be praying for them because the battle's heavy and the, the, the job is difficult. So in conclusion, it's okay. It's a little early, I know. I know you feel like you're being shortchanged, but uh, we have one more thing to do before we, we close. Elders, protect and fight. Trusting in the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Protect and fight, but always do that by trusting in the good shepherd. Be courageous. And we trust in the good shepherd because you must remember you're not the Savior. You're not the good shepherd. And you want to be a good shepherd, but you're not the good shepherd. It doesn't all depend on you. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord it doesn't depend on you. Remember that. In church, obey and pray, making the ministry a joy. Obey and pray. Make the ministry a joy. I'm going to ask uh, the deacons, if they would join me, and the elders to join me up here. And uh, Isaac, can you grab the handheld when you come? So come on up, men. Do we have enough room up here? We're going to uh, put the elders here. Come on up, all the way up. All the way up. I know it's two steps, but it's way up here. So elders, if you stand here in the front. These are the men that God has chosen for us and the men that you have recognized as the ones that God has chosen for us. And uh, we want to install them into that office officially. And they've already been serving that office for a few weeks, but we want you to be a part of that recognition. Uh, most of you know who these guys are. You've seen them before, but we want you to see them. We want you to know them. We want you to pray for them. This is a, a very important moment. Now, again, as I said, not because of that these things haven't already happened. This is more just a formality in one sense, but it's much more than a formality. And so as the other set of men that you've called into leadership in our church, the deacons and myself, who I've already been an elder for a number of years here, we're going to pray for these men. We're going to lay hands on these men and uh, install them into that office officially. And so uh, we want you to pray with us as we pray. And as we do that, we're going to start with Dale, and then we'll just hand the mic down. And so men, if you would uh, lay hands on these men. Let's pray for them. Dale, lead us. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these dedicated men who are willing to work so hard in your service. Give each one godly wisdom as they carry on their ministry in the church as well as their homes. Each, give each one of them a servant heart and a caring spirit for the whole body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Father, we gather here this morning uh, seeking to glorify you. Lord, we have these men here before us. And Lord, we just pray that they would seek to present themselves uh, worthy, that they would have no reason to be ashamed, that they would rightly divide the word of truth. They would lead this congregation, that you would guard them from fear of man, 
partiality, that you would give them a spirit of hospitality and wisdom. They'd be united. We would look to them. We would submit. And we just pray for unity in this church. We are so blessed at all that you have done. We bring these men forward. Lord, we look to glorify you even more as we pray in Jesus' name. Father, you have said that the fields are white unto the harvest. We just pray that as we reach out, we have men that are dedicated their lives to you. Lord, give them wisdom that they can be able leaders. And we pray that the families that stand behind them can remain faithful as well. And as this church goes forward, Lord, we just pray so much that we can reach out and touch the lives of people in a way that we haven't seen in quite a while. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our Father, we pray for your blessing. Pray for your blessing on these men. We pray for your protection. May you guard them. May you keep them. May you strengthen them. May you give them great wisdom. May you give them a love for the word. May you give them a love for your people. May they grow in their abilities. May they find the strength to continue on. May they be caring shepherds and good soldiers who love the sheep, who protect the sheep, who fight the good fight of the faith, know the gospel and live the gospel, that you would protect them and preserve them and keep them to the end, serving you faithfully. May they be a tremendous blessing and encouragement to each one. As our numbers have multiplied in this role, may the congregation see the benefits and the blessings that come. May you grow us and transform us. May we please you. May each one remember that it's not about them. It's not about us. It's about you, your glory, your name, your church, your kingdom. And we thank you for all that you have done, and we trust you for all that you're going to do. So as we suffer for the gospel, may we do so with joy. May we do so together. And all God's people said, amen.